0: Welcome to Beating the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 1 at verse 19, part B. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 19, part B of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Where Paul writes this These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so this is the end of chapter 1 which in uh, in our own outline completes this first part of our position in Christ as a body and uh, we'll get to uh, the rest of uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 in episodes to come but as a body uh, there are many things that uh, paul wants to explain but he does so in uh, the framework of both uh, praise as well as his prayer request uh, even before he gets into uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 and that means uh, that uh, that praise is verses 3 through 14 and we've Already been through that. The prayer part of this uh, this chapter uh, begins in verse fifteen and goes all the way through the end of the chapter. But uh, as you noticed, we started our reading in the middle of a verse, in verse nineteen, and the reason is because. That is a sentence marker, at least in the English translations, of having a a new sentence right there in the middle of verse 19. Now, in the Greek language, there was no periods and there was no uh, uh, structure like we have in spaces between the words or spaces between the sentences even. And uh, so this is rather a, uh, a, uh, a format that we adopt because we are dealing with an English translation. And in in my case, I read from the New American Standard Bible. And in verse 19, part B, he begins by saying, these are in accordance with. And what are the these? Well, he's already talked about uh, his prayer uh, in verse uh, 15, uh, prayer for knowledge. We are to be enlightened. We are to gain new understanding and wisdom. And then also uh, we have certain access to power. We have a power that we may not have uh, realized even for the most part. And that's, uh, that's in verses 19b through 21, and then verses 22 and 23, which finish out the chapter, is the um, the spiritual perception of the fullness that we have because of Christ, because of what God's purposes are for us. He has equipped us with a fullness. That fullness comes, of course, from the the person we know as the Holy Spirit, Uh, but he doesn't actually mention him by name. He he does so earlier that uh, the Holy Spirit in verse 13 is our promise. He is our seal, and uh, he is our pledge, you might say, in verse 14. And so he's already brought up the Holy Spirit, and now that... uh, uh, that That is the uh, person of the Godhead that currently resides in us and fills us. And so that is uh, the way that we look at this chapter. Now, in the idea of uh, when he says these things are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, uh, the things that he's talking about most immediately uh, occur in verse 18. If you go back to that, you see, you have to establish a context, whether or not uh, you have an actual sentence like a, like i read it to be uh this way in the new american standard bible uh whether or not that is the case we still have to examine the context the context is uh what he's referring to uh, uh is is what came earlier and that is verse 18a talks about the hope. Look at that. He says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling." So that's the first part of the the things, uh, these things that uh he's given us. Also, part 18b is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So that is um the the second part of the these things, and uh, then the third part is part 19a, where it says, "And the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe." So his his hope, his riches, and his greatness of his power are all these things that have been given to us in accordance with. Now here is the measurement by which. These three things have been given to us. Now, the uh, New International Version only refers to, uh, back to that one phrase, which is the power toward us, and that's okay. Um, it just depends on what authority you might want to give to, to various translations. But the New American Standard Bible is the, the one I'm using here. Uh, you are welcome to uh, other quality translations, and I would consider NIV to be a quality translation. But but uh, suffice it to say that it is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So there is a measurement. There is a tool by which we uh, gauge Gauge all the things that he's talked about so far, and especially the power. If that's uh, if that is all that refers to, if it only reflects back to the power part of verse 19, and not back to the hope part or the riches part uh, of verse 18, uh, then uh, it really uh, doesn't make a whole lot of uh, difference in many regards. But rather, it says it's a, this is the gauge. This is the measurement. This is the, uh, the, the, uh, the way in which we, we lay out the power. And that is, how is it that we measure that? Uh, we don't measure it in inches. We don't marriage measure it in uh, pounds per square inch. Uh, but, uh, uh, and we don't measure it in, uh, in, uh, uh, tons or in, uh, barometric pressure. We measure this power in other ways. And here's the gauge. Here's the way we, we, uh, look at it. It's in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. And Paul loves synonyms. He loves to stack synonyms on top of synonyms. And in this case, uh, he uh, talks about the working. That's the, uh, the 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 Greek word where we uh, we would understand the English word energy. That's where uh, uh, our our English word energy comes from. And uh, so the uh, the working that is the energy of the strength of his might. Uh, both of those, all three of those synonyms, has to do with a certain kind or a certain aspect of strength or power. And it may be inherent, uh, within the person themselves, or it may be adopted, or it may be just sheer muscular strength, but, uh, either way it refers to God's power, what he did to transfer his power to us. And, uh, and Paul is just, uh, stacking this together so that we can know that, uh, the power that's available to us has a gauge to it. We can go to, uh, to, this, uh, to this meter, this power meter, and uh, determine how uh, much it is. It's not a volt meter or an amp meter. This is a power meter from God. And how do we tell how much it is? It's w- is where it's located. It says, uh, the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. There it is. There's our gauge those that's the the uh, the needle that we look at what is it it is jesus raising from the dead he brought about in christ when he raised him from the dead so that's part of the strength of his might that is the way that god exhibited his power through raising his son the messiah christ in the uh, greek uh, messiah in the hebrew and uh, so that's part of his power but look at Uh, look at what Paul says here later. He's not done with his uh, phrasing here because it's not just exhibited in the resurrection power. Look what else. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So there is resurrection power, and that's a whole lot of strength that would take a dead body out of a tomb and put life back into it, reanimate it without the encumbrance of death and decay or injury that the body originally had. You see, uh, uh, many things in our, many uh, uh, pieces of literature or cinema or film uh, and uh, many other things in our own culture uh, reflect upon uh, uh, people raising from the grave. But uh, uh, uh those kinds of things in our culture has uh, they carry with them a lot of negative connotations because because those bodies uh, still have, the deterioration effect, and uh, th- they are monsters in themselves. But you see, in the Bible, when God raised Jesus from the dead, we have a resurrection, not just a resuscitation of an old dying carcass. Uh, it is a new body, and uh, he may have took taken the elements out of the old body in order to make the new one, uh, but the new one is still the new one, and uh, it is according to his power and he did so with uh his son he raised him from the dead and but that's not the full of it you see that is not the full measure of it look at what else and seated him in, at his right hand in the heavenly places so that's the second half of that power isn't just resurrection power it is ascending power the 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 power that took the resurrected Lord to heaven and placed him in the heavenly places. That is a different power. It's the same power in many ways. Uh, we're not trying to distinguish uh, various aspects, but uh, but that is in essence what's included in that power. In uh, that means that not only did God raise. The, uh, the old body into a new body for Jesus' resurrection, but he took that resurrected body to heaven and placed him on a throne at the right hand of the throne of God. So uh, that's part of the, the, the measurement of the power of what he has given to us. That's the whole point. That's what Paul is praying for, that we would understand with our spiritual eyes, our spiritual understanding, that we have a power. We've got a power source. It's not just a battery source that needs to be recharged. This is a power that comes from the initial work of God to raise his son from the dead and raise his uh, resurrected son to heaven to be with him. Um uh, Uh, And Jesus even uh, quoted from Old Testament, he quoted from uh, Psalm uh, 110 and verse 1 uh, in Luke chapter 22 verse 69, Jesus says this, but from now on the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And because Jesus predicted that, then uh, that gives credit, you see, that this psalm was a messianic psalm and this psalm is referring to himself. And he's saying, I will ascend to the right hand of the power of God. Well, we find out that that is what happened according to the scriptures. And uh, we'll get into that right after this break. we're in verse 20 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, and we're talking about the source of God's power that he has given to us. And Paul has already prayed and thanked God for that power. Now he's praying that we could realize it, that we could understand it, and that... uh, Uh, There's lots uh, to it that we may not understand, but at least Paul has prayed about this, so it is worth our while to look at it and examine what Paul has prayed for us and how we are to understand uh, what he prayed for us. So he he refers to this idea of God's power, the strength of his might, uh, has raised Jesus from the dead and also has raised the resurrected Jesus back to heaven. Um, Mark uh, talks about that in Mark chapter 16. Luke talks about it in Luke chapter 24. Uh, uh, Luke also uh, talks about it in Acts chapter 1. Verse nine, as an event recorded, it says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus was raised not only from the grave to new life, resurrected life, but he was raised from the earth into heaven. And, um, uh, he went out of their sight. Now, we're not quite sure how how high up that might be, but uh, in many regards, it may just have meant that, uh, that he went into this other dimension of existence in the heavenly places, and uh, he's seated in heavenly places. Hebrews makes a big deal out of it in chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, 4, where it says, Uh, When he made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the main point is what has been said is this We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, he says, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Again, chapter 12, verse two of the book of Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice Jesus still has the name Jesus, even though he's a resurrected Jesus, and even though he's an ascended Jesus, even though he is a Jesus seated, seated—that that is, at the right hand of God, and uh, yet he's still Jesus. Now, that's totally fascinating. This isn't just the, the, the so-called Christ spirit or some invisible entity. This is the Jesus of Nazareth who went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again from the grave in a resurrected body, and now is ascended into heaven, and seated in the heavenly places. That's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, and he goes on. He he describes this Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, Peter says so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers and been, had uh, been subjected to him. And so uh, we find a lot of uh, biblical basis for the fact that we believe that the resurrected Jesus has ascended into heaven and has been given a position of authority once he's there. Now, he always had that authority, but this is now as a new person, so to speak. This is not just the, uh, the, third, the second person of the triune God that has always been in existence. This is now the second person of the triune God who is also now uh, the God-man. He is the one who is also Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who is the Messiah of, uh, of Earth, uh, earthly birth, and uh, now... He is ascended back to heaven in his resurrected, glorified body. And so it says that he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And look at what this means. Paul isn't just satisfied with stating the address. He's stating now describing the significance of that address. Look, it says in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, if you want to establish some sort of hierarchy on earth, if you want to establish some chain of command of of, uh, people of earth, and uh, the, the governments of earth, or the ruling powers of the earth, or for that matter, Uh, If you want to establish the hierarchy of angels or the hierarchy of demons or the hierarchy of spiritual beings that that exist beyond our physical sciences can examine. If you want to look at those creatures in the heavenly uh, realm, in the unseen realm, the undetected realm uh, for the most part. If you want to look at the hierarchy there of that kind of power, Jesus supersedes all of them. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's the degree of the, of the status of the authority and the power in which Jesus uh, now sits. And uh, that's what he says. He, uh, verse, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 27 and 28, he quotes from Psalm um, 8, verse 6, Uh, In this passage, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 27 and 28, it says, For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are are put in subjection, uh, it is evident that he is accepted who puts all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself, also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. You see, there is a a sweep of purpose here of Jesus' status in the heavenly places, and that status is he is the ultimate authority by designation by the Father, and it will one day be exercised in a practical way where everyone will know it, so far it's just invisible so far it is just what we we can read about and what we can know about through God's revealed truth but otherwise we don't know it we don't feel it we don't see it around us uh we uh, we see the authorities of the uh of the the earth we see the the rulers of the various kingdoms and nations we see the presidents and and uh, vice presidents we see uh uh, the headquarters of uh, various international organizations, but in terms of of uh, this person who reigns in heaven, uh, this is a is a place where he has all authority over everything else, and that is the Son of God, and that is exa- exactly what Paul says in chapter two of the book of Eph- uh, Philippians, where he says this. And not only uh, look, um, uh, well, first of all, let's let's look back at uh, what we're um, Examining here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, not only is this a a rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. And so Paul names that name. That's above every other name. He does so in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. So you can go there now. And that uh, that's where Paul writes this. He says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have to read the complete sentence. You see, for, for many uh, regards, um, the Christians of, of our uh, age seem to have just been satisfied with, with pulling out the phrase of uh, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, but that's not exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2. What he is saying is that God gave Jesus a name. It now belongs to Jesus of Nazareth as resurrected Lord, as ascended Lord, and that is is its Lord that's his new name. That's the name that's above everything else. That's a, no, a name that's a, that places him above all other authorities. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. That's the name that's above every name. That's the name by which uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That You got to finish the sentence in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Otherwise, uh, you're going to be caught with a with just a cliche, and uh, a cliche doesn't always include the truth of uh, exactly what uh, is being said. So that's the reason why I wanted to go to Philippians chapter 2 to read that entire uh, passage, you see, because there is coming a time where it says, um, uh, again, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse um, verse 21, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So this is not a, a name change. Jesus isn't going to ne- change his name of Lord. God isn't going to shift the Lord name to another person. He's going to retain the Lord's status even in a different age, even when all the current rulers pass away, when all the current kings and presidents and authorities of this earth pass away, when there uh, are no other structures to uh, to govern the earth, Jesus will be Lord. And that's what he's getting at in the age to come. Uh, Revelation talks about that in uh, Revelation 21, verse 1, all the way through uh, chapter 22, verse 5. And not only uh, is it uh, in the age to come, it's a sustaining uh, position of authority, but also he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, so this, all this authority, all this power, all this uh, status that uh, God has given to His Son is for a purpose, and it's not just about Him; it is about us as well. That purpose includes what presenting Jesus now functioning as the head over all things. To the church. He is now functioning over the church the way he should or would and will function over the entire earth one day. But now he exercises his headship, if you want to call it that, his lordship, his authority, his power, his strength over the church. That uh, that word, church, is the term ekklesia in the uh, Greek language. It's a combination of two ideas, ek, which means out of in the Greek, and kaleo, which means called, and that just means simply the assembly of God's people. The God's people gather together because they are called to be together, and that is the, the word that we are familiar with, that's called the church, which is his body. There's a metaphor. That means that he is our head and we are members of his body. We are not just lists of names in a uh, an honor roll or a, a membership uh, banner or a membership role. We are a part, a functioning part of his body his spiritual body that is and the fullness of him who fills all in all that's his purpose is to fill us and in order to fill us he rules us in order to rule us he not only rules us individually he rules us as a gathering as an assembly as a local church and uh, that's what the lord is the lord of he is the lord over his body, the head of his church. He's also the one shepherd over his flock. That's a different metaphor. Uh, there's another uh, architectural metaphor uh, that he uses. That's the temple. We are we are instruments in the temple, and we ourselves become part of his. Temple, not a physical structure of a temple, but spiritually speaking, and so there are three of these metaphors to describe the intimate nature and the the uh, the powerful connection we have with God's Son. We are His body, and He is our head. We are members of uh, His temple, and uh, He has made us His temple, and we are His bride, and He. Is our groom. Those are the three things that we find in this book to describe the various ways in which we are connected to our Lord, to our Savior, to the one who not only paid for our sins by dying on the cross, but who has ascended into heaven and now currently sits in the highest position of all the earth and all the heavenly places. And we look to him as our Lord and as our master and as our power and as our authority. Father, thank you for these things that you've given to us, a power we never would have taken for ourselves, a power that we'd never understand on our own ingenuity, but one that comes from you and that you have displayed it in your son already. We put ourselves in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.